0: The thing that may go unrecognized is that from all the places I've been and trained, the level of orthopedic care that these trauma patients get is far superior than I would put us up to anyone in the country with regards to just the technical precision and
1: the care that these patients get. Welcome to the now and future of orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast, and I'm your host, Sam Coates. Over a century years old, Campbell Clinic physicians are recognized national and international leaders in the field of orthopedics. With engaging conversations and stories, you'll hear how our physicians integrate the latest orthopedic treatments and medical advancements in musculoskeletal care through their continued and ongoing clinical research, innovation, teaching, and the writing of Campbell's Operative Orthopedic Textbook. To learn more about Campbell Clinic, go to campbellclinic.com. And for more podcast episodes, search The Now and Future of Orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Hey, everyone. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and your families. Our guest today is Dr. Christopher Cosgrove. Dr. Cosgrove and his partners are the only orthopedic trauma surgeons based inside the Regional One Medical Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. It is the only level one trauma center within a 200-mile radius of this area, and it's one of the busiest in the country. Dr. Cosgrove attended Lafayette College, University of Virginia School of Medicine, and he did his residency at Washington University School of Medicine, where he was the chief resident. He did his fellowship in the orthopedic trauma at R. adams Cali Shock Trauma Center. So join us on this episode where you will hear The difference between an orthopedic surgeon at a main medical campus or practice versus one of the busiest trauma centers in the country, why their work is changing, and how treating the whole person matters, and how it's more than just the physical body, what his international experience has taught him about what great surgeons are doing around the world, plus so much more. So please enjoy this week's episode with Dr. Christopher Cosgrove. Dr. Cosgrove, great to see you. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. A couple days before Thanksgiving, so appreciate you carving out time to do this. Yeah, pardon the pun. (laughs) I like what you did there. Yeah. (laughs) So you're from Pittsburgh and you went to medical school at the University of Virginia. And here you are in Memphis, Tennessee, you know, as a trauma specialist here in Memphis at Regional One. And if you're going to get injured or you're going to have an an issue within 200-mile radius of where we are today. You're coming here to see you and your partners. Is that fair?
0: Yeah. yeah. uh, I mean, if you have a significant trauma injury, then, yeah, this is the the place to go to in a a very large radius.
1: What can you share that may be underappreciated or not fully recognized that's important about what you and so many others here are doing?
0: I, I think one of the things that excites me every day going to work is that it's something new every single day um so i don't show up and have a scheduled slot of elective patients coming in for their total knees and total hips and so when me and my partners when we show up at at the med in the morning we are kind of faced with you know all the trauma that comes in throughout the day and evening and overnight and well, that building operates, you know, 24 hours a day, and uh, we do t- some temporizing stuff overnight. By and large, a lot of those more severe patients are getting treated during those daytime hours when we come in. And uh, it is something special to behold when when you realize, like, you know, this patient got in a helicopter and flew a few hundred miles so that they could see you and be treated by you for your, for your care for that particular injury. And so to answer your question, what, what may go un- unrecognized or unnoticed is just the, the broad catchment area that regional one has, the depth and breadth of trauma experience that's provided by the hospital that gets filtered to the hospital. And then the services that we provide really extend to not just the local Memphis community, but the community at large, i.e. in this huge area that extends from St. Louis to Little Rock into Nashville on, on, the, on the borders of that and so it's it's it is a special place and it's special to know that you are are there for that many people at any given time.
1: Earlier you were talking about all the different patients that you have that come through. Just there's so much diversity. But you said everybody needs to get treated the same way, the same level of care. Could you maybe explain what that's like day in, day out?
0: Yeah. It uh, that's a loaded question, and it it's um, it is interesting because you know you you meet these people, and no matter where they come from, what their background is, what their education, their their race, sex, all that stuff gets kind of washed away because you're meeting a a human on a very fundamental level that's probably at their worst or the the worst day of their life when they come and meet you, and you walk into their their hospital room or their you know ER bed. And so you immediately have to develop a lot of rapport with that patient and develop some fundamental level of trust that you're going to not just treat them well on that day, but see them through their whole treatment process from their whatever fixation they get to their rehab afterwards and everything in between. And patients come in uh, with some devastating injuries, uh, life-altering injuries. And it's easy to, you see this deluge of, of stuff that comes in day after day after day. It's easy to lose some of that human quality and just, you know, I'm, I'm just treating another person with XYZ fractures or this, that, and the other thing. And, um, I think what brings you home at the end of the day is recognizing that, that there's, there's such a human element and some such basic need behind someone who just is trying to walk again. And, That resonates with me just the same as, you know, someone who, you know, was kind of, you know, grew up on the wrong streets of Memphis and was getting into no good. And same thing with someone who, you know, maybe lives out in the burbs and just kind of fell off a curb and did something a little bit more benign going to church. And so all those patients have their own stories, uh, but it's important for us to, uh, I think, you know, just treat everyone with the optimal orthopedic trauma care that we get possibly can.
1: Do you think based off of your fellowship or what you're doing today and what you've studied, is that something that's worth really understanding? If you're in a level one trauma center and you're seeing some of the worst injuries possible, is it easy for people to not get the best care that they could depending on where they are across the country and what the values and priorities are of those surgeons that are there?
0: That's a, yeah, that's interesting. The um, I mean, there there are a lot of studies that look at uh, some of these, you know, bad limb-threatening injuries, and something that's been kind of washed out a few times is that what influences outcomes or some things that influence outcome are the time it takes to, to get transferred to a level one center. And so the outside facilities where patients may end up initially uh, I think are are great to help temporize things depending on the injury and what the comfort level is with the surgeons who are um, taking call in that facility. But oftentimes in that scenario, patients are getting sent and referred to us either directly to the hospital or as an outpatient to get their definitive care. And so by the nice thing is by establishing a a regional referral center and a, a trauma center that at least you know, locally and regionally is known to provide excellent quality of work. I think people in the community are very open to you know understanding their limitations for what they can and maybe should be taken care of from a fracture standpoint and if uh, it's outside you know their comfort level for whatever reason they they know where to where to find us.
1: So you're saying when people are free to focus on the sh- their specialty and in this case with Campbell Clinic being the only clinic that has surgeons here at a level 1 trauma center you're able to serve people in the best way possible because you're not kind of getting out of your area of focus. Is that what you're saying?
0: Well, yeah, it allows our presence here, allows um, other surgeons, not just within our group or elsewhere, to, I think, feel comfortable knowing that they can send those complex patients on to us so they can go on and, and do things that, that they're good at doing, that they're fellowship trained at doing, either knees or hips or shoulder scopes or whatever the case may be. So I guess from that perspective, uh, I think our as trauma surgeons here, we serve that important role in the community, not just for the patients, but for the other providers in the area as well.
1: What do you think drew you in to this specialty, given several other things that you could have done?
0: Yeah, I think um, the impact value was was huge for me. There's, to me, something very special, like I mentioned earlier, about meeting that patient who is really just having the worst day of their life, who for whatever reason finds their way into your care and to be uh, in a position where you can restore someone's ability to walk or use their hand or just uh, do some things that without you they would be completely unable to do with the modern techniques and tools and training we have available is really something special. And so I, I like I like the variability. So we're, I mean, I do everything from the the shoulder all the way down to the great toe, and uh, that variety on a day to day basis was really attractive. And the other thing I really like about trauma is that it is, in some essence, uh, a really fundamental aspect of all of orthopedics. So the same skills that the we teach the residents down at the at regional one are transferable to these other subspecialties, and so they. That's one of the exciting elements of the whole story to me is, as an educator, getting to really try to uh, fill their toolbox with all kinds of things that will help them throughout their residency training and their future careers, no matter what specialty they go in.
1: So you've talked about the residency program a little bit before we were recording. Why is it unique here with you and the work down here at the Med?
0: So the residency program is five years, and the, one of the unique features at Campbell Clinic is that they rotate through regional one every year for five years and spend a substantial amount of time there. By the time they're junior and and senior residents, um, they're spending three month blocks at regional one. And so they get exposed to a ton of trauma, both during the day and at night. And um, they uh, rapidly develop a a significant amount of progress uh, of understanding from a technical standpoint, how to fix things uh, from uh, how to run a service, how to, Uh, identify injuries, all those things that that residents and other programs may read a book about or watch a video about, they're in the trenches doing. And there's something very uh, important to having that autonomy that develops over time and just the responsibilities of taking care of all the patients down there. And so it's very busy for them, uh, but they get a lot
1: out of it and they put a lot into it. What's the benefit to just hang there for a second when you're really thinking about your residency? where you're going to be at a place where you're thrown in to do the work, and it's just not a textbook.
0: Well, for them, they get to develop a lot of skills that, like I mentioned, like other programs, they just don't really get exposed to. And why that's important for them, even if they don't go into orthopedic trauma, which few of them will, they will hopefully graduate with the comfort level of taking care of a lot of the stuff that could come in on their call when they're out in the community doing stuff at you know level 3s or level 2s out in the area wherever they may be. And so my ultimate goal and where I would be satisfied as an educator is making sure that resident gets their diploma and leaves and and knows that they can handle or at least provisionally or temporize anything that comes through the door. And you see that, you see the progression throughout their 5 years here by the time they're chief residents. I mean they're very able to walk junior residents through some more complex cases. And that's it's fun for me to, to watch that evolution over time and participate in that transformation.
1: And see them develop. All right. What can you share about moving your specialty forward, you and your partners, and what you're seeing, where I imagine every, so much of what you see and do is so reactive. But is there anything that you could speak to about what you really care about, that it continues to, to innovate, to develop, and for things to evolve within your specialty?
0: Yeah, uh, you know this Memphis is unique in the sense that back to the days of Tony Russell, who was a, a significant innovator and really pushed the trauma field forward um, with the development of more advanced techniques in intramedullary nailing. Um, that kind of served as some of the roots for a lot of the growth that, from a technological standpoint. But as especially, you know, you don't you don't get to improve a whole lot unless you have a whole lot of reps, and so. I think one of the nice things about being in a place like Regional One is that it affords you the opportunity to use innovative products to help drive further innovation. We work closely with a lot of the uh, different vendors uh, in the both region and nationally to, to help design, develop new products. Um, and a lot of that is based on experiences that we see at Regional One in. Like I said, you can have the best mechanical mind or engineering mind and, and not be exposed to the patient volume and just not know there's a problem that needs to be solved unless you're, you know, in the, on the trenches doing that kind of stuff. So that's, that's something that I think uh, that we're proud of, particularly here in Memphis, is I think all four of us uh, are continuing to kind of fight to be on that front edge and, and driving conversations and, and hopefully driving momentum with research and pushing the field forward.
1: Is there anything that just hangs in your mind and that you go back to that you you really just feel like needs to change and evolve?
0: With respect to the trauma population, I think you know we, we've we done a really good job uh, over the last decade, uh, we as in the orthopedic trauma community, I think pushing that innovation to the forefront and really trying to maximize patients' functional outcome. And I think now and, and soon we're, we're recognizing more and more that that function in and of itself is kind of, it's a marriage of both what you provide to the patient with regards to how you fix the bones and the therapy they get, but also what's going on upstairs uh, in their head and uh, the psychological impact of tr- going through unexpected trauma, the sociodemographic stuff that all may lead to a patient being in a scenario where they experience trauma um, may be... What limits some outcomes uh, may limit their function at the end of the day. And so what I'd like to see our field develop and what people are working on and, and as a community where we can continue to improve upon is actually looking a step further and not just how can I make this crooked bone straight, but how can I capture this captive audience when I have them and figure out how I can influence their you know, psychological healing, their... Um, kind of mental awareness of, of their surroundings, their, what resources are available to them uh, to get a little bit more comprehensive look at their healing.
1: What you're saying is when you're coming in and you're performing surgery or you're treating and reconstructing someone in their body, what you care about and what you see really needs continued improvement is the treatment of the whole person. And that's going to affect their physical recovery as well. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, to some degree, I would say that's true. Um, and, you know, occasionally what we do or can provide to the patient is has a close relationship to, you know, their their status coming into the trauma. So if they've got significant psychological or medical comorbidities, that may influence how we manage their fractures in some form or fashion. But certainly extending our reach to be able to not just kind of align their bones and fix them with metal, but also to figure out a way that we can dive more deeply and ensuring that, you know, that they're safe at home, that they have their diabetes under good management so that they don't develop complications from having, you know, uncontrolled diabetes or whatever the case may be. Um, that's kind of the next tier, I think, of, of trauma as we, as we get really good at fixing things. Uh, we so too need to get really good at fixing and, and trying to
1: at least establish care for the whole person. As much as you feel comfortable in sharing, what do you think that could look like?
0: Well, I think what it ultimately would look like is having more or at least readily accessible access to mental health care and uh, resources that can be easily tapped and sent to these patients' communities. Injury prevention or trauma prevention type programs um, can be very helpful. And just, you know, getting in, like I said, the the grassroots kind of community level and and trying to more positively impact uh, change in the socio-demographic sense before uh, those patients become influenced by, you know, negativity in those areas that could potentially lead to them getting involved in gang violence and then getting their femur shattered from a, a ballistic injury or whatever the case may be. So... That's that's a long-term pipe dream. Of course, uh, there's so much practicality in between what that dream is and, and what is uh, like kind of reality. But I think, again, as a trauma community, we can continue to advocate for that type of change and, and that and just encourage momentum in that regard.
1: What can you share that sustains you personally? It sounds like you see people, as you said earlier, on their worst days, but you're also, what I feel like you're saying is, the physical improvement and the rehabilitation of someone's body can almost only go so far depending on choices and you know situations and things after they leave the room with you how do you maintain optimism and open mindedness and positivity when it seems that sometimes you may or others may see all these other things that are very important but you don't really have control over yeah
0: yeah, uh, you have to have, you know, there's a few things that go into that. Uh, I'm laughing because uh, someone else told me long ago, that, you know, you go into trauma because you like to lose. And I think to some element that, that kind of plays off the notion that a lot of patients really don't do well. You, know, you have a life-altering you know, injury, a mangled limb, and you have significant comorbidities going into it. You can only do so much sometimes for patients, and then a lot of it, you know, is also the the hurdle uh, from an like emotional standpoint for me, you spend you know hours reconstructing someone's body and and they go off and you know totally disobey your post operative instructions and start walking and destroying the fixation that you put together and And that's part of the gig. What sustains me, I think, is just the to some degree, the self-satisfaction of knowing that I've done everything I can for a patient at that particular time. And then also just kind of in my own way, seeing patients who do well and really just capturing that in my mind. And, And, you know, if I go through a clinic and, you know, I've got 10 patients who have done poorly, but there's one really happy person who like gives me a hug and just can't thank me enough for the care that was provided. I mean, that's... That can sustain me for like three weeks. I mean, that that's like worth its weight in gold. And so you really have to latch on to whatever positivity is out there and recognize that some, to some degree, you can only do the best you can and um, and continue to just give your patients your best. And like you mentioned, sometimes sometimes you get in some bad streaks where you get you know these complications that keep coming up and coming up, and you learn from it and you try to use that information to better your patience down the road and, you know, change how you treat things as needed and just keep moving forward. And some days you just have to be a goldfish. Yeah, It's Ted Lasso.
1: I know. (laughs) I was going to say it, but you beat me to it. (laughs) This podcast has an international audience. And so I'm curious if there's anything that you'd share about the United States and the trauma here in your work, and your partner's work, versus maybe other surgeons around the world? And what are similarities? What are differences from the specialty of being an orthopedic trauma surgeon?
0: I think the similarities are probably similar to what I recently described, is that I think a lot of people go into trauma for the same reason, um, because they really have a heart for these patients who have you know significant problems. And you know, to some degree, we're a community of people who all recognize that we're doing our best and we're not going to have a whole clinic full of happy patients who had their hip replacements and are back doing their ballroom dancing. That's just not our, our, our shtick. But I think despite what resources may or may not be available to people both at home and abroad, um, everyone just tries to do their best. I had a Really impactful experience when I was a resident. I spent uh, a few weeks in Cambodia at a really busy trauma center there, and they didn't have access to almost anything that you would consider standard of care here in the United States. X-ray, intraoperative tools, and all of it was, like, gone. But the brilliance of what they were able to do with what little they had uh, really uh, spoke to me and and still does, uh, as I think back at some of the cases that we, things that we put together with, like, you know, Toothpicks and bubble gum, essentially, the orthopedic equivalent of that, that here in the States, you can just scratch your head to. But everyone is seeking the same goal to try to optimize that, that patient's outcome. I think one of the nice features of being in the United States and having these resources is that you can really be on the forefront of technology and innovation. And, and the, water, the downstream effect of that is um, that it can also drive innovation in, in areas that don't have as many
1: resources. With those surgeons in Cambodia, are they just wired and driven the same way that you are?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, they, uh, even though there's a bit of a language barrier at times, uh, you could just see in their eyes how much they cared. Even though they were very tired, it was a really busy trauma center, uh, and they were they were tired. They worked long days and long nights, but you can't do that unless you have a real heart for the patients and um, a real motivation to do everything you can uh, to see them through their, their trauma experience.
1: What can you share about Campbell Clinic as an organization? I've heard, you know, even last month's episode with Dr. Throckmorton and Dr. Brolin, Dr. Throckmorton says that, you know, when he came down here, people were just scared of shoulder surgery or if they needed shoulder surgery, they went to Mayo and Part of their work and their specialty here is to advance the care and the opportunity for people to get excellent care here in this area. And it sounds unique. There's a theme, you know, but with Campbell Clinic being the only clinic that has orthopedic surgeons here at a level one trauma center, is there anything that is worth sharing about organizationally, how it's structured or how you're supported or to kind of be freed up to take care of these people that are just going through a very challenging day or time in their life.
0: Yeah. I think one of the special things about Camel Clinic as an organization is that we are effectively a, a huge team of providers and everyone's got their own role on the team. There's a quarterback, there's a running back and wide receivers and whoever. And sometimes, you know, they're the Heisman trophy winners and they're the ones who uh, really move the ball forward and get the big contracts and the lights and cameras and, I see us in the trauma center being more of the the lineman, uh, so to speak. In, in that analogy, you know, there's many times not a lot of glamour in, in orthopedic trauma, uh, but we play an important role on the team. And so, if I have partners within my practice who, you know, come up, a patient shows up in their clinic uh, with you know a complex fracture that's kind of outside their realm of expertise, they know they can pick up the phone and call me and. Send it to my clinic or send it to the med or, or wherever and, and get it taken care of. And all of our trauma providers are the same way. And I think there's this mutual benefit and respect of, you know, I, I don't need to worry from a trauma surgeon perspective of building up the private practice side of things to... You know, do more surgeries and more cases to keep the lights on and keep my overhead. And, and basically, I show up to work at the med, and all I have to worry about is, you know, how many cases can I get done before they shut the lights off on me. And so, my my goal down there is just to grind the wheel, to teach the residents, to uh, do right by my patients, and just keep that going forward. And that the flip side of that is, I uh, as a practice practicing partner in this group, um, that's a pr- very much a private group. I don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, my elective schedule and, you know, how am I gonna coordinate, you know, different aspects of maintaining a private practice. So I get to experience a little bit of both worlds, but I think it works out for everyone. And again, as long as we stay as one big functioning team unit, as long as seven points get put on the board, then everyone's happy.
1: You're freed up to do your job and yeah, to do the exactly. work. And everything else is taken care of. Mm-hmm. Somebody listen to this. Let's say they're in medical school right mm-hmm. now or they're in their fellowship and you're you're learning, you're seeing things a certain way. But then when, here when you get in the game and you're at one of the busiest trauma centers in the country, is there anything that, you've, that you now see, that you've now learned, that you've now experienced that you can only really see and understand by getting the reps? Yeah.
0: Well, one of the nice things about uh, my training background is it brought me through a lot of say bad neighborhoods so i mean if you look at the top five crime lists you know i was in residency in st louis for five years in baltimore and then down in memphis and so i just gotta you know take a trip to detroit and i'll hit like probably four of the top five but the reality is when you're in those busy centers like that um you get a lot of reps and um, i was fortunate enough to experience that and benefited from the training and expertise of a lot of my mentors, both in residency and fellowships. And so I arrived in Memphis. I was, I think, pretty ready and rearing to go to make my own decisions to kind of be my own person, so to speak, as a surgeon. The thing that I think was most different for me is not so much the technical aspects of being an orthopedic trauma surgeon, but of being a, a teacher at that same time. And so I was used to as a fellow teaching some of the residents and as a resident teaching some of the junior residents, but it's a little bit, it's a different flavor when you're the staff physician who is ultimately responsible for um, the patient's outcome and their final x-rays and their everything soup to nuts, while also making sure that the residents have a good experience too, that they're getting their hands dirty. And sometimes that requires, a lot of times that requires relinquishing control. And so you kind of create this atmosphere of, say, controlled chaos is probably not the right word, but just controlled unpredictability where, you know, the residents are doing some, some stuff and they might mess up and they mess up in some uh, weird ways sometimes. But that kind of makes my job cool because I got to figure out how to get out of that problem. So that's an added element that I didn't really see a whole lot of when, when you're still kind of in the training umbrella. But it takes that's the art form, and, and knowing like which resident can go how far in a case and when is the appropriate time to let them struggle enough until they're about to do something that you can't reverse. And so there are a lot of nuances to being a, a good educator, which I'm still trying to learn and, and improve upon, but it makes teaching cool.
1: So you're, you're just speaking to leadership and people's capacity to lead under stress and then to also develop people that are coming up. Right. And that's going to be the next generation. Yeah. And you can't learn that by just studying.
0: No, and sometimes the best lessons are the ones taught after you know, mistakes are made or um, after you know outcomes may be you know, poorer than we would, would hope. I think those are some of the most powerful things that residents can learn um, and motivating to do better the next time. But if they're not afforded those experiences... Again, obviously, in a controlled fashion, protecting patient safety is, is paramount. But with in that kind of realm, letting them struggle and, and the, the, the gains that are uh, had by struggling, I
1: think, is huge for us in education. Is there anything that you're specifically excited about, about something that you see happening that is making things better here where you are day in, day out, that is of value to the patients you're serving?
0: Yeah, I mean, the day-to-day is exciting just because it's everything's different all the time. Um, you have to get creative with problem-solving and thinking on your toes. All that stuff's great. But I think what is kind of most exciting to me is the resident training standpoint because my career, my time, you know, doing orthopedic trauma is a kind of defined entity and being able to generate a whole new generation of orthopedic surgeons Who are capable in managing trauma, regardless of what subspecialty they go into, that that to me is the ultimate reward. And knowing that as a result of their training here at Campbell Clinic, they can go off anywhere across the country or across the world and really wave our our banner, and, and I'm proud of what they're able to do. And I'm proud of hearing feedback from residents who go on to the fellowship and you know, are fixing fractures and their staff there are asking them like, hey, where did you learn to do that? That's awesome. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. And that's what, that's what keeps me excited and keeps me in the game and uh, ultimately is, is knowing the impact that you have for on orthopedics for years and years to come.
1: In developing people. Mm-hmm. Last question I have on the tough days, the hard days, when you're not getting that hug, is there a particular story or two that comes to mind of just somebody that went through a horrific accident or just had something terrible happen and and you really you know and you have clung to and you keep in your head what you and your team were able to do for them yeah i i can't think of one on the top of my head they exist
0: uh i don't know if i have like a go-to story that i keep going back to um like i mentioned earlier getting satisfaction knowing that you did everything you could for the patient at that time and then during those hard days just you know, the, you'll leave the building and there's no one behind you slapping you on the back for, you know, thanks for being here the last upteen hours and, you're, by the way, your your dinner's cold. Uh, so it can feel like a thankless job at some, time, at some level. But I think just going back to the basics and realizing the impact that you have on, on a patient's life who, if not for your care, would who knows where they would be. And so seeing the journeys and, and having, like you said, some patients you know, in your mind that you know had similar injuries who were able to over time kind of either compensate or just keep pushing the envelope and getting better and better. And, and maybe not perfect, but the, the journey is just getting, getting to as good as, as they can get. And that's, I think that's something special to watch over time. I think you, know, you see patients early on and follow up uh, who are still trying to deal and, and cope with a leg or an arm that's you know visibly mangled and doesn't look great. There's scars everywhere, and and they're wondering in their head and looking at you like, "Am I ever going to feel normal or be normal again?" And so, being a sometimes some days like a coach, like a motivator, and saying like, look, "Look, like this is what we could hope for your outcome. You know, these are our goals for the next." Two weeks, the next six weeks, the next twelve weeks, and and watching them grow over that period is um, when that happens, and they buy into that program is really special to watch.
1: So the same way that you're leading and connecting with and encouraging people in the residency or people that are training with you, you're having to connect with and encourage and lead these people that can just be so upset and so down. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, I mean, my clinic is and our clinics as trauma providers are full of. Usually, not so happy customers, uh, especially early on in their journeys. Because I mean, a lot of it has. I mean, you didn't get in their car and wreck it, but they're they're just surrounded by this whole notion that their lives have dramatically changed. And a lot of my clinic time, it feels like, is spent as like a counselor, so to speak, and and kind of trying to help them rationalize, help them understand that you're there for them that you're gonna you know see this through to the end no matter what complications may arise or or whatever that like we're, we're stuck together or we're you, i'm your surgeon you're my patient and we're gonna see this through to the end whatever that end may be but we're gonna do it together and and i think it it takes a lot of extra time uh as opposed to some other clinics that don't have to d- maybe deal with all that baggage so to speak but uh it makes it all the more worthwhile, I think.
1: What would be the result or what would happen if Campbell Clinic did not have orthopedic surgeons here at this level one clinic? What would be the effect on the community?
0: Well, the impact would be huge. The the thing that may go unrecognized to answer a part of your question from earlier is that from all the places I've been and trained, the level of orthopedic care that these trauma patients get is is far superior than, than I would I'd put us up to anyone in the country with regards to just the technical precision that um, and the care that these patients get. A lot of that's borne out through just all the repetitions, but when patients come to Memphis and are treated by a Campbell Clinic trauma surgeon, I would bring anyone into our conference room any day to look at our post-op x-rays, and I'm, I'm proud of all the guys who work there because they're, they are tremendously skilled surgeons and so you go to some areas that are kind of deserts of orthopedic trauma availability and and you know hospitals that are covered by either locums providers or people who are just transients who are maybe not trauma trained but just kind of covering um, and doing their best and um, not to negate their efforts but a lot of those patients and populations just don't get the same high level of
1: orthopedic trauma care that you would otherwise get in a place like this. It's incredible. Well, thank you. And um, it just makes you grateful being a member of this community and beyond that, I mean, you've been kind of, you've been professional, polite, honest, and kind, but there's a lot of thankless days and you're seeing some of the hardest things going on in this city and within 200 plus miles. And so, you know, knowing that you and others are on the front line, Taking care of some of the worst things that people could go through. Hopefully, one day you feel a significant amount of fulfillment just from the things that you and others have done.
0: Yeah, no, I,
1: I appreciate you saying that. It is,
0: it's a very, it's a very rewarding specialty, and I think that's why uh, all of us go into it. And it's, it's the reward is not always the, like I said, the patient who's sending you flowers and you know inviting you to Thanksgiving dinner but uh, sometimes the reward is just knowing that the the patients that fall under your care um, are getting the highest level of orthopedic trauma care that they would anywhere in the country and the reward is getting to educate being a team member with other orthopedic trauma surgeons at, at regional one that are equally as dedicated as you are to the mission and so it's just about kind of realigning your your sights and understanding what is ultimately most most gratifying to you, and it's it's a fun job, and it, it keeps it uh, every every day is a new adventure, and but
1: the adventure is always always fun. That's awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Now and Future of Orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast. Be on the lookout for a new episode coming soon each month. And for more information about Campbell Clinic, go to campbellclinic.com and also search The Now and Future of Orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. If you love this episode, please do us a favor, tell a friend, and leave a review. As your host, Sam Coates, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.